the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message. Well, this morning we again find ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5-9, through 9, in a series entitled, Whose Church Is It Anyway? We're at part 2, and we're looking at seven realities to remember to keep the right mindset about the church. And I began last week by answering that question, whose church is it? Because we see that it is indeed God's church, that is good theology, that is good doctrine. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9, and I want to read that passage for you again that we started last week and we'll finish this week. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Again, we have been looking at seven realities to remember to keep the right mindset about the church. When anything trumps the glory of God, family, parenting, money, job, any of those things, even flipping around, right? The, the things that look good on the outside, but they, they're pursued for selfish reasons, right? Yeah, I want, I want to preach, but not for God's glory and the edification of his people. But I want, to, I want to become famous. I want to be trending on YouTube. Well, as far as you can tell, we're all same goal, but I don't have the same goal anymore. And my point is, is even in good things, being a good dad, being a good mom, being a good wife, being a good pastor, being a good child, being a good servant, being a good prayer warrior, even those things can, can twist your aim, your goal. And even though what you're doing looks spiritual, it's pharisaical. It's legalistic. Right? I have to do this to the neglect of this. Right? I have to read this to, to the neglect of my husband. I have to go and serve this individual to the neglect of my children. I need to buy this to help my kids be more happy and have way more screen time than they should have already to the detriment of giving to the church or supporting missionaries who trust me under COVID-19 are struggling way more than you are right now. It all works together, right? Singularity of focus. 
And this also reminds us to be encouraged by others. Right? There, there's no clicking on and, and live streaming and thinking, man, am I the only one who's getting this? Am I the only one who wants to do this? Am I the only one who's being convicted? No, you know, you can look at everyone and you can say, hey, are you, uh, I'm not sure. Oh yeah, you are good. Me too. Me too. Glorify God. Let's do this. How are you doing? Good. I'm going to learn a little from you. I'm going to learn a little from you. Let's all do this together. Synergistic effect. And we explode onto the world. Now, again, it is important that the particulars and what we do does matter. Especially how we do it. And this leads us to our sixth reality to remember to keep the right mindset about church. The appropriation of severance. The appropriation of severance. Look at the end of verse 8. But each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. This is talking about future reward for our service. But that does not come until the job is done. When is the job done? When you die or when the Lord returns. It is our severance pay, if you will. Not until you see God face to face is your job done and will this reward be given to you. In fact, as we'll see in a minute, there is a specific time when that reward is given to all people. Now, there's a few things to point out about this future reward. Well, the first half of verse 8 speaks of the unity in our various labors. This second half emphasizes the diversity of our ministries as seen in the diversity of reward. Everyone's reward is going to be different, and this is based on our work, on our labors as Christians, as seen in the term his own. This describes both the reward and the ministry, his own. Now, the word reward in ancient Greek, as well as today, usually means like wages or pay, salary, payment for services rendered. Those would be the normal commercial senses of the word. But here, in this context, the pay or reward, Paul is using to emphasize his point that all of us are responsible to to God, and God is the one who determines the value of our efforts. Not the world, not even the church. You can see how bad it is that the Corinthians are putting themselves as the ones who determine Paul or Paulus's or Peter's worth, exalting those people one against the other. But Paul makes it clear that the wages are determined by God, and they are based on our labor. Note that your individual future reward, which will be different than mine, which will be different than every other Christian, The reward is based not on our successes or results, but on our labor, on our work. What this means is not necessarily how much you have done, but how much of your work, which you do, is done for the Lord. Only your work done for the Lord will be rewarded. But also, the reward is based on diligence and obedience. 
It can't be based on success because we just saw that God is in charge of the success, the growth. But, for example, your reward is not based on how many people get saved through your evangelism, for example, but how faithfully you evangelize. And it's not about how many people come to your small group, but how faithfully you lead that small group. How well you prepare, how diligently you do it, how well, how much you love the people who come. The reward is not based on how many people hear you lead worship, but how faithfully you lead those who show up. And how much you lead with integrity and holiness of heart. This applies to everything. Not just the official upfront ministries of the church, which I have mentioned. It, it could also be the example of, it's not how many people eat the cookies you brought to church, but how faithfully, how lovingly you baked them. Did you do this just to promote this uh, bakery business you want to start? Or did you do this just because you can't wait to hear people praise you about how good of a baker you are? Or did you do it because you just want to serve and you, you love people and you... Can't wait to see the smile on that child's face and help people to, to be able to worship better because they're not distracted by hunger pains. And this is not just even a, 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 what we would call ministry. Your, your work, your cleaning your house, your mowing the lawn. Do you do those things to the glory of God? In all of those examples, when I say it's about how faithfully you do it, faithfully means with the right heart attitude, with the goal of glorifying God, doing it out of love, sacrificially, etc. You know the list. You know what God is looking for. Recently read in my quiet times this past week about David, King David's sin with Bathsheba. And in the psalm that he writes, in Psalm 51, that psalm of his repentance after Nathan confronts him on the sin, he makes a point that we would heed well. And his, in his uh, specific context, it was about physical sacrifices. He says, I would sacrifice. I would make sacrifices of, of, of oxen and bulls. But that's not what you want. You want a, a contrite heart. You want a repentant heart. You want a heart that honors you. And then when I have that, the psalmist goes on to say, and I think this is the part we often forget, after I have that, then I will offer up sacrifices to you at the altar. It has to be about the heart attitude. And of course, this is holistic thinking. Like I said before, even though you desire to glorify God through uh, through your side projects or your hobbies or you're going out and visiting a million different people. It can't be to the detriment of others, the, the more prioritized uh, commands that you have in your family and the church. And so we have to do these things with the right heart attitude. And I would caution you. I would caution you. Again, God is not just looking at what you have done. He's not looking at numbers. He looks at your heart and your actions, actions that are backed by a right heart attitude. 
And so don't think that to avoid legalism, you just have to have a worshipful heart and do nothing. No, reward is still going to be based on what you do, but with the right heart attitude. But back to what I want to caution you about. Oftentimes, we do things, and what we do on paper has biblical reasoning for it. But that wasn't your true reason. Look, we, we can, except for, for blatant sin, all of our extracurricular activities that are, can I say, neutral or gray, we can find a verse and say, well, I want to do this because it glorifies God because it helps me do such and such. It helps me relax because then I can focus more on church. It, it, it does this because it's going to help my family and God wants me to be a, a, a good faithful son or daughter to my parents. But if our heart is still selfish, there's no reward for that. You see, so many times we do that, don't we? Right? If, uh, if I, as your pastor, were to ask you, well, why are you doing that? You would give me a verse. Well, you know, uh, the Lord wants me. But you know that wasn't the initial reason. You're just covering it up. You're just trying to make it look good. You're making positive excuses for something that had a selfish motive. And I want to caution you about that. Now, if you truly start with a selfish motive and scramble to find a verse to justify what you're doing and then truly are motivated by that scripture, that's called repentance. More power to you. But if it's just to sound good, that's called legalism. That's called deception. You're deceiving yourself and you're deceiving whoever you're talking to. There is a reward someday. And we need to understand that, that the joy in serving is to glorify God. And the motivation of reward should be secondary. Now this idea of God giving to each Christian and non-Christian according to their work is found throughout the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 27 it says, For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Paul quotes this in Romans 2.5 and elaborates that this applies to both reward for the godly and wrath for the ungodly. Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, the same principle. And several other passages uh, use the same principle to speak of the wicked receiving their just punishment according to their deeds. We even have a picture of this time of reward in the future day in Revelation chapters 2, 11, 20, and 22. Four different chapters speak of this. And it's, it is in Revelation that we get a more specific timing of this reward. But the bottom line is that we are to take heed because a reward is coming and there will be a reward based on your efforts. Well, we're looking at seven realities to remember to keep the right mindset about the church. And we've seen this morning the accreditation of significance, the alliance of scope, the appropriation of severance, and finally, the assets of sovereignty. The assets of sovereignty. Verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. God's building. This is a good summary and conclusion of what Paul's been saying in this passage. First, we are reminded of the oneness in ministry. He says Paul and Apollos and basically all believers, but in this context he's talking about himself and Apollos, are fellow workers. Again, speaking of the equal relationship between all of God's workers. There's a unity and a 
fellowship, a oneness in our labor under and for God. The objects of their ministry is the church at Corinth. And he says they are the field, specifically God's field. They are God's building. And this verse, verse 9, is a transitional statement, and it connects the passage we looked at over the past two Sundays, as well as the next passage, which we'll see starting in June, next week being our Q&A. And it speaks uh, next week of the foundation of Christ and building upon that. Uh, But it also refers back to all we have seen in this passage. And as a field, they are a work in progress. As in any field, there will be a variety. There will be growth. There is fruit. As a building, they are a corporate structure, a community. They are not multiple buildings doing their own thing. There's no place, Paul says, for individualism. The the very individualism that they are exhibiting and that he is confronting. But here's the emphasis of verse 9. Even without knowledge of Greek grammar, you see it. The emphasis is very clear by the repetition. Gods, second, gods, thirdly, gods. God's workers, God's field, God's building. In everything, in other words, everything involved with the church, including the church itself, belongs to God. We are his assets. We belong to him. And so, we belong to the Sovereign. What a privilege this is. To know of the oneness and the privilege of our ministry, and to know that we, as those ministers, whatever level, if you want to put it that way, your ministry may take. Whatever, uh, however big the sphere of influence, What a privilege to know that it is God's work. You belong to God. And the people you are ministering to, the church, is God's field. And where he is bringing about growth and life and fruit and adding to its numbers. The building which works together many different bricks upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, as we will see. But all of us on that foundation part of that same structure. We belong to God. You don't belong to your parents. You don't belong to the United States of America. You do not belong to your political party. You do not belong to your company. You belong to God. What a wonderful truth to know whom it is that we belong to. You know, there's a lot of talk these days about opening up the church. When will the church open? And we understand what they mean, the literal doors of the church. But I hope this passage and these two sermons have reminded you that the church has never closed. You are the church. And we must function as such. Don't wait for the doors of churches to open. Continue to function as the church. On the flip side, there's also much talk about the government deeming churches as non-essential. We know we are essential on a spiritual level as well as a physical level. 
and we get angry. There's people protesting, shaking their fists, saying the church is essential. But on a very practical level, and I'm talking about you as a specific person, looking at your life over the last 24 hours or 24 days. Have you made the church non-essential? Is your heart, your goal, your purpose in life so far from the glory of God that you are essentially non-essential? Are you just in your living room, in your house, and even when we were meeting or when we meet again, just coming and going, not getting to know people, not attending groups, not fellowshipping, not serving, because you understand the, the very the, the first level of service is one-on-one, praying, encouraging, rebuking. And you can't do that if you don't know people. Are you a non-essential part of the church? Are you making the church non-essential because you're not doing anything? Does a... <laughs> Does the society really feel it that the churches are are physically closed? Are you sharing the gospel? Are you living a light? Are you being a positive, God-honoring influence to people to the point that they think you're essential in their lives? Or are you non-essential and the government of California is right in saying liquor stores and marijuana dispensaries are more essential than the church? Make your life count for God. Do something. Now more than ever, do you have the opportunity to Zoom, Skype, cell phone, whatever. That's what people are doing. It may may have been odd back in January or February, but it's not today. That's the only way you can communicate with Christians or non-Christians. What are you doing? Are you just sitting around twiddling your thumbs? When are we going to meet again? When are we going to meet again? Do something. You are the church. Not those guys that I met at Grace Church of the Bay Area before shelter in place. You are the church. You. I wish I could reach through that camera and tap every one of you on the shoulder and say you. Because I know. I know that there's some of you who I'm saying this and it's just like water off a duck's back. Not me uh, talking about that guy. Talking about the deacons. The guy who gave me a, uh, gave me a, a new visitor bag when I came. It's not me. It can't be me. It is you. You are a Christian. You matter. You are part of the building. You are the church. Serve God. Take ownership of the church. Well, over the past two weeks, we have seen seven realities to remember to keep the right mindset about the church. The agents of salvation, the appointment of service, the activity of success, the accreditation of significance, the alliance of scope, the appropriation of severance, and the assets of sovereignty. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. 
So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reminder of the privilege that we have of being part of God's field, God's building. To have the privilege of ministering, to have a singularity of purpose that not just the actual purpose is foreign to the world, but the singularity is as well. Thank you for your Holy Spirit and your Son that we might know you and have this purpose and know this purpose. May we strive, may we get out of our comfort zones, may we strive and work and serve you with the right hearts. We work so hard that our comfort zone is ministry, that we relax by doing ministry, that our hobby is serving you. Father, forgive us for being so selfish to the point that even how we parent our newborn babies, even how we watch over our adult children or take care of our jobs is so selfish, trying to appease our own worries, our own concerns, instead of trusting you and glorifying you. Help us to shed the fat, Lord, to get rid of all the things that so easily entangle us, the encumbrances, to gird ourselves so that we might not walk and trip and stumble and do things when it's convenient, but run with endurance. Fight the good fight. Run the good race. Make our lives count for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Tune in next week for a continuation of this message. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information, or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Rogers' teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through the website gracebayarea.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.